Parenting's hard, you don't know what to do. You're blaming your kids, but it's probably you. You love your kids and that you can trust. Just remember your kids don't suck. Welcome to your kids don't suck. Cultivating closeness with your children through non-coercive conscious parenting. We're your hosts, Kara Tedstone and Ruthia Lee. Let's dive in and grow together. Welcome back to your Kids Don't Suck. We are so excited to be on episode two. We've crossed a threshold, me and Kara, and we're having the best time. In episode one, we talked about our joy and excitement on doing this podcast, and we gave a comprehensive definition of non-coercive conscious parenting. We got way into it. We shared our bios because we're both therapists and moms, and we talked about our own journeys with non-coercion with our kids. I'm Rathia, and I have an 11-year-old daughter. I'm divorced, and I now have a new partner of eight years. And Kara has a 14-month-old and lives with her husband in Toronto. So we are both moms doing this crazy, wild, out-of-the-box approach to parenting. We want to tell you all about it. Um, we're, we're obsessed. <laughs> and so um, today we're talking about the promises of non-coercive parenting. This is something that I wrote when I was two years into the process. So now I'm seven years into the process. I started when my daughter was five and I wrote this document called The Promises. And I was thinking of it like when you do a 12 step group, they promise you what will happen if you get sober. You know, they're like, if you get sober, your life will become manageable and you will create close relationships and you will know yourself. And so I tried to write something like that about if you try to step onto this path of non-authoritarian parenting where you let go of punishing and consequences and controlling behaviors and you get on the conscious path of looking at your own triggers and working on them and shifting into a mutual mindset of collaborative parenting what can i promise you what can we promise you as parents who've been doing this so that's what we're doing today Oh, Rathia, that's interesting. I was going to ask you before we get into it really quickly, would you tell us where you were at in your parenting when you wrote this? I know you mentioned thinking about it like it's a 12-step program or like how those work, but where were you in your parenting when you wrote this? What was going on in your parenting and what kind of led up to this? That's a really good question. So I had been watching... Vivek Patel's videos on non-coercive collaborative parenting and we talk about him in episode one also and also more on this episode he changed my life I was watching his videos on YouTube over you know very casually not even really thinking that I was going to do what he was doing because I thought he seemed absolutely nuts <laughs> and um but but when I wrote this document I had already jumped in I had already decided I'm going full non-coercive. I'm going to jump into the deep end because I had started to see that as I was having to control my daughter more and more as she was getting older and older and her will was getting stronger and stronger, we were having a lot of power struggles and I saw that we were going to become separate, that we were starting to be more and more separate because the more I had to control her, the more unhappy our relationship became. And so when she was five, I said, I'm going for it. I'm going to follow Vivek's, you know, whole methodology and see what happens. And so two years in, so he calls it the tornado phase 
it's like an explosion. So when you've been controlling your child and then suddenly you stop controlling them, it's like an explosion because they start testing every limit they could possibly think of to see, are you really gonna stop controlling me? Well, th good, then I'm just gonna eat candy all day long. I'm gonna scream and yell all the time. I'm gonna throw things. I mean, you know, she just went absolutely nuts. And even so, there were all of these incredible, obvious, shining through moments of intimacy with her that I had literally never had before. And so I wrote the promises when all of the amazing things were starting to shine through the chaos oh. and they kept me going. Oh, Am I answering wow. the question? Yeah, Am it I did. The question? Definitely. Cause I was, I was, my second part was what around age was Tori? Do you remember when you, when you oh, started yeah, to see that? Five. She was five years old when or, I started. Or but when you started to see, like you said, the, the, those glimmers of what the promises were kind of indicating. Oh, they happen right away. Oh, really? So did oh, you yeah. write the promises right away? No, I wrote it two years in. Oh, okay, I see. But I tell you, as soon as you stop controlling your child, something happens. The heart connection gets so much bigger right away, right away. That's really interesting to hear because I'm doing it from the beginning. So right. I'm really curious. I'm always curious when I'm talking to you about those differences like I'm, I don't know any other way right now in my day to day. So I'm like, that's fascinating that you started to notice right away the change and the mindset shift was really um, becoming like tangible and actionable for you that you actually noticed it in your relationship. That's so cool. It was unmistakable. That's so cool. In fact, the day I decided I was going to do it, it was literally like one day I wasn't doing it and the next day I was. That's crazy. I, I decided, okay, I'm, I had not been letting her eat sugar for her whole life, hardly at all. And I finally, she was starting to hide candy in the bathroom and go eat it and hide it from me. And so that's what really made me wake up mm -hmm. was that moment. So the next day, well, when I decided, I don't know how long after I decided I'm, I'm doing this, I said to her, sweetheart, I'm not going to be controlling your food anymore. I'm gonna let you eat as much sweets as you want. And I'm gonna trust your body and we're gonna trust your body together. And it's gonna be a big experiment. We're gonna see what happens. Hmm. And so why don't we go into town and we'll go to the candy store and I'll buy you whatever you want. Hmm. And the absolute joy and openness on her face. And she, when we were in town and we took hands and we were skipping down the street and the joy of having to pick what candy she wanted, it was like the biggest joy. And so she picked all this candy. She got this huge, lollipop you know one of those huge ones that go okay. in a spiral and so she started eating it she really wasn't used to eating candy so she immediately started feeling sick like within i'm mean, halfway down the candy cane or whatever it was the lollipop she started feeling really sick and she had to throw it out <laughs> <laughs> so we had to make a video of her throwing it out being like oh my god my body can't handle this and that was the beginning of the journey but even when she felt me opening to her like that, I mean, the joy between us was unmistakable. I guess what's so cool about it for me is that you were able to make an actionable change like that, like that went from zero to a hundred kind of thing. And that was a cherished memory now for you and probably your daughter. Have you ever talked to Tori about that experience, like the candy thing? Yeah, we talk about it. We are, it's one of our lore you know it's one yeah of one of your tales and i have a video of it somewhere i gotta find it because wouldn't so it be great i should i should share it on tiktok will you talk about starting non-coercion from the beginning i can't even imagine will you say anything about how you got there and 
what that's been like around in terms of your intimacy or connection with your child? Yeah, it's, I don't know where to start. I, I just always knew that I was going to treat my kid with this. I just knew intuitively it was going to be a respectful relationship whereby like she was going to be a whole human being when she came to me. It wasn't like I felt like my role as her mother was to teach her in that way. I wasn't going to try to mold her or like control her. And I guess when I found your TikTok and you had that language of non-coercion and control and no wrongness and things like that, that was speaking to me. But before I saw your video, like I didn't have any language. I just had this sense that I was just a person and so was she and that she was going to be guiding me in a way and that I really didn't want to like hamper that. Like one of my biggest like what brings me into the reason and the promise that jumps out to me is this awareness that I have that it will be worth it in the long run that like she will open up to me and that she will end up teaching me more than I ever could her and that I I guess when I started planning to have a child and even prior like I was a teacher I said in the last episode a little bit about like my work with kids and families I just knew that when I had my own kid, I was going to almost hold the the hold the mindset that I hold with my clients and with the students that I've had in the past. I guess full disclosure, it was a lot different when I had students in schools. I felt like I was being very authoritative, kind of against my will at times in that role. But ultimately, my intention was to be this respectful partner or guide or walking alongside these kids and in my in my work with families and clients, I try to hold that role obviously holding the therapeutic relationship as this idea that I'm like a backup dancer or just like a support person, not a figure of authority. I'm not a person who is a sage, all-knowing guide of, of these people. Like I'm equal to them. And I just knew that when I had my own child that I would really want to speak to her, treat her, touch her, love her in that same way that I was very, it didn't make any sense to me to treat her otherwise. I don't know if it answers your question, like how I started. It really just was this mindset that I had that I guess I had taken from working with kids and families for years that holding a position of authority in the relationship and context of my parents child relationship made absolutely no sense to me. And I didn't want it. You're definitely making sense. I think people don't really necessarily know what that looks like. I mean, your intention is very clear. I want to treat her like an equal. I want to treat her like a whole human being. And I always knew I would do that. Maybe you could just say a little bit, just a little bit about what that looks like. You, Mm -hmm. You talked about it in episode one, but you know, we might have people who didn't hear that. I know I spoke in episode one about things like about putting her in the stroller yeah putting her in the stroller any sort of like forced against her will like objectively if she's upset it's hard to think of examples I think that like the first thing I think about is when she's playing like I really try I know a lot of parents get down on the floor with their kids they do a lot of floor time and it's trying to facilitate like opportunities to teach and I really don't do that at all. Like if she if she gives me five minutes of her playing by herself, which is rare in my house, she's not a great independent player in that way. She wants to be with me. But if she is independently playing, like I take that opportunity to just observe. And I don't know if I got that from reading like the work of like Magda Gerber. I don't know if you're familiar with Janet Lansbury, um, Rithia. There's definitely coercion in Janet Lansbury's practice. So that's not really what I follow. But as re- like reading about like infant... Um, child rearing and sort of these philosophies, I guess, 
people like Magda Gerber would say, young babies and children are, they're immersed in their own world. Like whatever they're up to is like none of our business <laughs> kind of thing. Mm. So when she's playing, I hold that as, you know, as part of my non-coercion. I don't use moments of her playing or moments of her up to the park or whatever she's doing. I don't try to jump in and be like, oh, put it on there though. Or what's the color? It's red. It's red. Say red. I just let her be. I let her do her thing. I know you and I have talked about like playing. Like I find I'm very like comfortable with play. So I just get really silly with her and take those moments to just join her in her process. I guess what I'm saying, I guess it's hard to give an example, but like if she's playing on the floor with like a bunch of toys around, like I'll just get down there with her and watch what she does and do it with her. And I don't like show her the pig and be like, say pig, say pig, what color's the pig? I don't do any of that. And I know that that's like, and I know you're laughing, but I see a lot of that like in places like preschools or just online for videos, like how to play with your kids. And it's like, I just really don't do that at all. I just like join her as much as possible as like one way of practicing non-coercion, just really holding that like she's up to something and I don't know what that is. It's none of my business to try to teach her in that moment. I'm just laughing because it is how so many so many parents, well, we are conditioned to believe we should be teaching them all the time. And, we, and, and parents and people don't understand that children are little sponges and their brains are like learning constantly. Yeah. We don't have to make them learn. They learn. Yeah. They just learn. And actually when we interrupt them and we interrupt them with our own agenda, we really, it really does cause damage over time. They can't trust their flow. They can't trust their own thinking. They can't work it out themselves. You know, they can't follow their own interests. So it's actually very profound what you're saying. It's not a little thing. It's a big thing. Well, yeah, thank you. I, I, I know my husband. I had just made a video on my own Instagram. Um, I was talking about the difference between guiding versus teaching. And I was thinking about it as guiding looks like engaging through play, engaging through storytelling, engaging through modeling, and engaging through natural experience. Mm. And teaching is reactionary. It's using the word no. It's saying, hey, don't do that. Stop that. Get down from there. Be careful. It's using um, punishment and control to get our kids to bring them to a means to an end. And I kind of was saying this in my video. And I, I told that to my partner. I said, you know, teaching is reactionary and guiding is proactive and relationship based. And he said that I, he's like, I totally hear you. He's like, but you really need to give people examples. Because I think people hear that and they're like, great, but like, what the hell do you suggest I do instead? Well, yeah, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. How do you deal with no? Because people say that toddlers are, you know, torturous because they're just getting into everything all the time. Mm -hmm. They're always getting into the cabinets and they're always like getting, you know, they're always picking everything apart and getting their hands in the toilet and, you know, and... And parents, a lot of times, are like, no, no, don't do that, don't do that, stop, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, I see that all the time. It drives me crazy. Mm. How do you deal with no? It's so funny. I, I, I'm thinking about this morning when my toddler was on the potty, and she always wants to put her hands in the potty, like, after we flush. She's very cool about, like, I'm like, oh, because I she's involved with it. So I'm like, let's get off the potty now. And now we got to look at the poop. Look at the poop. And she's like, ooh. And then we flush it. She flushes it. She's super excited. And then she wants to put her hands in. And I'm just thinking about what I did, because normally that would be a moment of no. And I don't use the word no at all. 
I, I'm not saying this to put myself on a pedestal. I just don't find it effective. Uh, working with kids and toddlers in the past, it, it's totally unhelpful in my experience. And now I know that there's evidence around that. But I don't use no because it's just not, it doesn't work. So I was thinking about when she, the moment that she wanted to put her hands in, I think I just commented on like the toilet seat. I think I was like, oh yeah, like it opens and closes. Like, do you want to shut it? And she was like, yeah. And then she just took her hands off and we shut it together. And a couple of times she's gotten her finger stuck in the toilet seat. Like she's closed the toilet on her finger and she's kind of been like not happy about that. And I've always just let her do that because I knew that she would not hard, but she just gently closes on her finger and she like looks at me and is like, oh, finger, like, ouch. I really just joined her in it. I didn't say no. I didn't say don't like, don't close the toilet seat. Don't put your hands in there. I never do that. I just kind of watch her. And she doesn't usually kind of go in there. She's done it a couple of times and I just redirect. I would just be like, oh, oops. And then I would, I'd maybe pick her up or I'd show her something else or I'd just really like quickly join her and be like, oh, wow, water. And then I'd be like, want to flush it or like want to close it or like, look, some toilet paper. It's a scarf. I don't know. I just, I'm really just in there with her playing. Care most parents would hear what you're saying and say, well, how are you going to teach her not to put her hands in the toilet? Well, she doesn't do it because I find that so funny. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. It's a very valid laugh. question. No, it's such a valid question. But I guess what, what I find funny about that is that that is the guiding, right? Like I am teaching her not to put her hands in the toilet because there's no reason to. Like I haven't made it a big deal. I haven't like made it an off limits thing. We don't have any toilet locks on it. She can open it and close it whenever she wants. I don't, I don't freaking care, honestly, if she puts her hands in the toilet, we can wash her hands after. I, I just don't feel that I've needed to teach her to get out of things or not do things because when she does things that I would prefer her not to do for safety or for hygiene or for whatever, I literally just get in there with her and kind of redirect her in that moment without making it a big deal and just join her like I've I don't think that I need to teach her no don't do the toilet thing because I she just want to say you are very 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 unusual yeah I guess so it's so funny I I don't realize that I mean I I do that too but I mean I started later but because I, I think I did say no a lot when she was younger because I didn't know yet and um and, and, and almost any parent can tell you that when you very strongly char in a charged way say no, then they really want to do it. We do not do that. I never said shit like that, but no, we do not do that. We do not put our hands in the toilet. That's disgusting or whatever people would say. <laughs> then the kid feels ashamed yeah. and then they want to test it. And they're like, wow, my parent had a really big reaction. Exactly. What is that? You know, and they get more into it. And then they also get scared of you and then they get scared of the toilet and then it becomes a whole other thing. Well, this is the thing. I think it's because I know all of this inside and out, like the back of my hand. Like I just know so clearly it's, it's very, very obvious to me. And, and most of us, I guess we do know what you're saying to be true. But for me, I feel it. Like I just, I know immediately when she's doing something I don't want her to do that if I come in with a hard no, even a be careful, like even something as in innocuous in, in quotes as be careful to me, I avoid that like the plague because I don't want to integrate myself into any decision. I want her to make the decision and I'm there to help. And so if she puts her hands in the toilet and, and she thinks it's yucky or if she touches poop, like th this is things that toddlers do. Of course she touches poop. It's developmentally normal. Like she's sensory seeking. So for me to come in with like a hot no, I'm going to have a poop craving touching little baby on my hands and I don't want that I would much rather make it pretty neutral wow mm -hmm. it's sticky wow 
wonder if we should wash it off in the water. Maybe we can add some bubbles and she'll be like, bubble, and we'll just move on. It's really, it's really not that hard for me to do that. I do know people's hesitancy with all this is that it takes so freaking long. And I have not, that's not been my experience personally at all. Like she's 14 and a half months old. She does stuff all the time that is not ideal for me, but I don't find it takes any longer to redirect her if I were to do it in a firm way or if I were to do it in a joining way. I don't, it yeah, doesn't take any more time. Shaming is not necessarily quicker. <laughs> yeah. I do have people that say that, that they say that shame, that coming in with like a no and a, a consequence or if you don't do this, then we can't do that. They will say to me, it's way faster. And I, that has not been my experience personally, but I've never done it. So <laughs> let me tell you something, something I want to say. I think what you just said was very deep and like specific. So I'm so glad we went into that. I want to say just the toilet example, and there's a million others, is that people, parents are so triggered about mess and smells and dirty things and gross things. And parents get really triggered. Mm-hmm. They just get really triggered and they their no is really charged because they're grossed out because they probably got shamed or they have all kinds of feelings about being invaded or invasive smells or invasive dirty things you know what I mean like it's the parents trigger the parents get triggered and they need the kids they need to say no intensely and strongly because they feel so grossed out they feel so triggered into their stuff And so they need to control their child so those feelings won't come up. And that is why a lot of parents say no all the time because they can't handle their own triggers. They can't handle how out of control they feel. They can't handle how scared they feel that their child's gonna hurt themselves. And there are so many triggers that make parents feel that they're entitled to just control their child all day long. They, They feel that they can because they can't tolerate their own feelings. I think that's so true and I wonder if a big part of why I'm so comfortable just letting her kind of figure it out and I'm right there is that I am very very conscious of my own triggers and if I am triggered I will just genuinely do whatever I need to do in that moment to to, to regulate myself so I can co-regulate with her or I can redirect her in a playful way but I'm very aware of that like as a therapist and someone who has been through trauma like this is the work I've had to do internally prior to having a kid also while parenting her it's an evolving process of course but I I very much dedicate like a big huge majority of my my energy to regulating myself and to catching those triggers I'm very aware I'm very in my body and I'm able to do that through a commitment to that work yes and I and I feel that we will do an episode on trauma yeah trauma healing and trauma and parenting because it's it's the core of the problem. Really. Absolutely. And I um, also to say too, like we're therapists and we've had therapy ourselves. So that's been a godsend for me to uncover the triggers that I have, why they're there in the first place. And then like learning strategies that work for me personally. So that's, that needs to be said. That's been a huge part of the reason why I'm able to do all this. Yes, and also a big thing that comes up with my TikTok videos and in general is the role of privilege in the time that we have to work on our triggers, Mm -hmm. that we do have the privilege, all kinds of privilege, the financial privilege, the skin privilege, you know, uh, to take the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And 
what I've learned from Vivek is that it's a mindset that you can work on at whatever level you can work on at, you know what I mean? Like whatever level you have, even if it's just starting to focus on a human to human connection with your child, even if you have no time and you can't slow the process down, just making your connection more humane mm -hmm. at whatever level yeah. is, is huge. Yeah. So now we're going to start covering the promises of non-coercive conscious parenting, something I wrote. There are 10 of them. I thought I'd read them and then we would both, me and Kara, would give examples or talk a little bit into how these promises are coming true in our families and in with our parenting. So the first promise is, my child will learn how to learn. So basically these promises are if you go the non-coercive way not even necessarily a hundred percent but if you just step on the path of collaborative parenting some of this will come true for you and number one is my child will learn how to learn she will learn how to follow her own impulses dive into her passions and interests she will take charge of her own interests she will gravitate towards the activities that bring her joy she will immerse herself and commit to long periods of activities that challenge her and engage her completely I wrote this because this is what was happening with my kid when I stopped getting my hands into everything. She started to find out what she wanted to do and I started to follow her. Um, some people call that self-directed learning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or just autonomy. Um, and yeah, my daughter has lots and lots and lots of interests. And some of them are just last a couple weeks and some of them are very deep and have gone on her whole life. She's been making little films her whole life. Well, as soon as she, I mean, since she's very little, she makes films with her friends, she makes films alone, she does incredible editing that's better than my editing. And she's been doing that her whole life. I have nothing to do with it, literally nothing. Hmm. She got cab cut on her iPad. I didn't even know what the hell that was. And the the less I have to do with it, the more into it she gets. And when I start acting attached to it, she starts distancing herself from it because she starts to feel controlled. When she feels I'm invested and that my ego is getting attached to it, she does not like that. That is actually starts to cut off her, her expression. I bet parents of young children will notice this too if they actually think about it that their young, young, young children will also reject the agenda of the teaching. Like we just talked about the difference between guiding and teaching. And I see that in my own kid. That if I get like attached to something that she's into, like if I try to in insert myself, like we were talking about in the self-directed play, when she's in her own world and I get in there and I take her out of that and I'm like, oh, that's so cool what you're doing. Like, let's make the tower even bigger. Or like I comment on it, like she's over it and she's onto something else. Yeah. And I just, I think that what you're saying is it's actually pretty applicable to like many different ages and stages because it goes back to that idea of allowing our kids to literally not only just like learn how to learn in their own process, it speaks to a bigger idea that I think what this does is allowing our children to find out who they really are because we don't interfere. 
Kara, I love that. It's like they have the space to listen. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's so many topics we can go into about mm. this, but just children are completely 100% dependent on us. We have all the power. So if we start showing a lot of preferences or criticism or we pull on them to make us feel proud, um, that is really uh, connected to their survival. It's not just, oh, a little thing. My mom really likes it when I do dances for her friends. Like when the parents start getting attached to the performance or the activities, it tugs on their survival and it's a lot bigger and deeper than we think it is. Yeah, it really speaks to what are our values and how do we coerce our kids to find themselves aligned with our values. And I look at this one and I think about like my kids learning how to learn. Therefore, if I try to coerce her in any way in her process and try to make her like, for example, I'm an artist, I, I sing, I play piano, I love music. If I try to force her into becoming a musician or an artist, that is so the opposite of what it means to be a musician and an artist. I don't want that for her. I want her to find the joy that is in all of these things that exist on this planet. And I want her to learn it. I want her to learn it on her own, in her own time and in her own way. I think it's really important for people to know that we are very imperfect parents. Like we're telling you this really strong intention in the way that we parent, but I just want to say I have fucked this up a hundred million times. I mean, my daughter was really into doing these karaoke singing things and I just thought she was so great. And I started getting attached to her being a singer and I'd be, Hey, let's do the karaoke tonight. You know, I would start getting all invested because yeah. I want her to be great because then I look good, you know, and it's all very unconscious. Um, I, I pull on her to do shit all the time. Just cause we're saying all this doesn't mean we don't suck. We, we suck. Yeah. <laughs> like some of these things are more strong in us than others. Right. And some of our triggers are, are being activated over others. And for me, allowing Aaliyah, my daughter to figure it out is something that I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with right now. But what if later in life, she has this incredible talent for something and decides to quit? I don't know how I'm going to show up in that moment. Like I can say that I'm going to be like super laissez-faire about it and be like, oh, it's great, honey. You know, you do you. But probably not. I'm probably going to be really devastated. Like my friend who is an amazing mom and her daughter just quit cheerleading. She's mother was a cheerleader and loved it and thought it was the greatest thing ever. And the daughter loved it too. But then the team changed and she didn't like it and she quit. And my friend called me and she said like, I'm just going to have to let this one go. She doesn't like it anymore. I can't force her. And I was like, wow wow, the way that you're able to do that, like how amazing is that? It's really not easy. It was very upsetting, but my friend was able to sort of separate the two that she was upset and that she was also able to hold the other truth that is maybe my kid will get back into it. Maybe she will, maybe she won't, but I have to hold this. Well, let's look at the alternative. I have to say, I have a client whose parents did not attach to her emotionally. And so she was on all these teams, swim teams and after school, you know, clubs that she absolutely hated. And she did them for her whole high school years and hated every single minute of it. But she thought that would make her parents love her. Mm. And that was her high school experience. And did, she didn't even continue any of those things after high school. None of those things, you know, stayed in her life, but she did them. And out of performance anxiety to try to get love. And that that's what happens. That's the alternative to this lifestyle. 
Yeah, I, I'm hearing a question that probably somebody would ask to us. They might say, well, how do you, isn't there a in-between? Like, isn't there a place where you can not hold them to this incredibly impossible standard, but then also not allow them to just quit willy-nilly every single thing? I, I can hear probably my friends or other listeners might be like, well, what about in the middle of that? Isn't there a way I can have them do certain things and not have them do others? What do you think to that? What do you say to that, Ruthia? So the common misconception about non-coercive parenting is that it's permissive. So yeah. people think it means the parents are just hands off and say, oh, do whatever you want. And they don't understand that it's deep engagement, that it's collaborative. So yeah. it's a back and forth and they're sharing. I mean, there's play and then there's talking about stuff. There's talking through stuff. I mean, my daughter went through this whole big conflict with two of her friends and she was trying to decide whether she wanted to stay friends or take space or speak up and like we just helped her through it it took a year of like trying to figure out what level of friendship she wanted with these kids mm -hmm. um it wasn't just like oh you figure it out there is a guiding aspect that's so huge with this but your child will not let you guide her them if they feel controlled yeah. they will not be able to be truly guided if they feel like your underlying intention is to control them you see it's so so important to understand that not yeah. you but people in general no i really like that answer i was thinking the same i think that in my friend's example she actually talked to her you know six-year-old seven-year-old and asked her what was going on she tried to figure it out when she really got down to it, it was the team. It was the fact that the team had changed. There was no one in her team that she liked anymore. She didn't like the coach. Like there was many reasons that really it didn't make any sense for my friend to force her to stay in it because she absolutely hated it. So it would have been a huge power struggle. It would have been such a like difficult experience for this kid. And my friend realized that it was in the best interest of everybody and put the relationship at the center to allow her child to quit. And so it wasn't just like a permissive parenting thing, like you say. It did involve a lot of thinking, a lot of talking and collaboration. And that's what I think I, I kind of wanted listeners to know is that we're not just saying like, let your kids just quit without asking any questions or without collaborating with them on a solution because maybe they just had a hard day and maybe they will go back next week with a different mindset. We just don't know. But people should be encouraged to explore all of those things and not hear from us that we're saying like, just let your kid quit at any point without investigating or collaborating on a on a direction i don't know kara i also would just let my kid quit i just want to contradict you that i would let my kid quit see i would too but i also would ask like i would want to know i would i would definitely engage in a conversation if i could but if my kid was saying hey i don't want to talk about it i'd be like okay children don't always know why they do what they do that's true that's true but you're saying let my kid quit and and something that Vivek is really always talking to me about is that we don't let our kids and we don't get our kids. Right. We don't get our kids to do things and we don't let our kids. Like, that's all that's all authoritarian language. Right. They are, they are autonomous beings. And when you say, well, I will let them. I will let them quit. It's like, well, it's, you know, I don't even, I try not to even think of it that way. Right. Which I feel like, can we go to the next promise? Yeah. Number two, my child will stop resisting and hiding from me in order to get to the things she's interested in and instead invite me into her play and world. She will no longer resist me, but in fact, invite me to join her discoveries. This took a long while to get to. Right. So since I was very controlling for the first five years of my daughter's life, it took 
quite a long time for her to trust that I wasn't trying to control her. So she had to push every edge to see if I was going to reinstate my control. That was a very long, you know, many year process. But now she, she trusts my opinion because now she knows I'm genuinely just trying to share and help and support her. Um, but that took a really, really long time. <laughs> and my daughter's allergic to being controlled. So if she senses even a little bit of an agenda, she's like, nope, nope, nope. I was thinking of the candy thing. Yeah. Well, because also going back to the, like, we don't let our kids, we don't get our kids. Yeah. That ties into this. Right? Yeah. Because you yeah, were realizing, like, I don't, like, I'm, well, yeah. Can you speak about, like, the food and the not telling you things thing? I'm going to say something kind of hard that probably most parents would judge, but that's okay because we're here to be ourselves. So my daughter gets an allowance and every Wednesday night she spends about $10 on candy and I go get it for her because she loves it. It brings her joy and that's what she wants to spend her money on. Now I'm very aware that she is eating candy that has like high fructose corn syrup in it and it's like so chemi- you know filled with chemicals and it's just so shitty for her and I still have to work on myself almost every Wednesday night to not say something mm-hmm. and sometimes I think I'll say to her you know sweetie what about getting a healthier option she hates that she'll be like mom stop shaming me I want to eat whatever I want and I'll be like okay And I always have to think through all the things Vivek taught me, which is that our relationship is more important than me being right and controlling her and trying even, it's even more important than her eating healthy food. Mm -hmm. Our our closeness is is more important than her even being a healthy person in terms of food. You know what I'm saying? That's the priority. Yeah. And she is not open to my input about the candy so i can't give it to her well i wonder if that is because she holds shame around like like maybe she's like like what are your thoughts like why doesn't isn't she open about the input is it because you didn't allow her to have it for so long it's probably because i am still all fucked up about food i think that's probably why Hmm. she can sense that it's not really oh i just would like to give you some loving input like i still have a lot of charge and fear and a whole bunch of shit around my food yeah well i I actually love that she's like that because kids are like little detectives and they can absolutely sense where our uh comments are coming from they can see right through our shit so if she's not open to your input, that to me right there is like, yeah, she probably senses that you'd prefer her to eat something else. Kara, that's it. That's exactly, she, she can sense that I have a judgment and I have fear mm-hmm. and that I covertly want to control her. I really do want to control her there. Yeah. And so she's just like, fuck off. And I love that she's like that. And I love that we're calling that out on here because I know my kid's going to have that about me. You can't avoid that. That's going to come up in our parenting somewhere. All of us, we're all going to have these things that we like, feel like we can't let go of. that are really sticky. And it sounds like this one for you is one of those. And she's seeing through it and being like, fuck off. Like you say, and I love that you're just like, you're, you're holding that. You're saying every week I fucking do this in my head. Every fucking week I go through this dialogue and every week she, or maybe not every week you make a comment, but when you do want to, she tells you to fuck off. And that's your dynamic with this. And she is speaking too to this whole idea of we don't let our kids because she is refuting any 
of your shit here on her own terms. Like she, you, you wouldn't be able to let her not let her, she's doing her own thing in this, regardless of your input, no input, she's doing it. And that's, that's amazing. Yes. And the more autonomy you allow, or, you know, you respect the more autonomy you support, the more they take it, the more they want it. And the more they invite you into the times where they do feel they need the support. Like the more they'll get vulnerable, right? Absolutely. Like number three. (laughs) Okay. Will you read that one? Yeah. Uh, Number three says, my child will ask me for advice and actually take my advice. I'm now able to give input. Well, this is Rathia who wrote this. So it's Rathia saying, I'm now able to give input and tell her stories without her tuning me out. We can discuss things, pros and cons of endless subjects. And she knows I'm not secretly trying to coerce her or to coerce her to have a certain opinion or get her to do something in particular. Now there's an open field of what we can talk about. And she will even ask me my opinion and truly want to know. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any experience with this or do you feel like Aaliyah's too young for this promise? This is a, uh, this is a, a, a later in life thing. Um, but I am desperately hoping that this is what I, I see in my relationship with her. This is one of the biggest reasons for doing this in my opinion. Um, I would absolutely, I don't know what I would do with myself. I know this is a very, there is a possibility that she may not want to have ever hear my advice. Maybe we have a very fraught relationship in her teenage years. I don't predict the future, but I really hope that this is going to be the case for me because I don't know what I'd do with myself if I had a challenging time when it comes to like talking with her, sharing our feelings, discussing things, debating, or just having conversations in general. I really believe that non-coercion is going to create a container for us to be able to do that without like shame, judgment, feeling worried about being criticized by me. And I, I know that I have to work on accepting the reality that she may absolutely hate my guts, even if I do all of this, right? I don't know. But ultimately, this is the biggest like reason for me doing this. I am desperate to have that long-lasting, trusting, and open relationship with her. I, that's just all I want in this world. Mm. And I think it's so beautiful you have that with Tori. Like you have that right now, and she's she's in the, that she's in that age that everybody says, "Oh, you're gonna fucking hate it when your kids get to be a preteen." So aggressive the way that people talk about like this age that you're in. And you're able to say, actually, no, like, this is my relationship. Well, I'm in the very best, best part of parenting. I I felt like it was really hard for uh, forever. <laughs> but the last year has been the easiest um, between age 10 and 11 because something really shifted. Like, I stuck with this way of parenting, and there were so many, so much beautiful closeness but so many triggers um she had a lot of trauma to work through for many years from the divorce and um but now her brain is really oh my god her brain is really getting online like she can understand so many things now it's anyway she really does take my advice and she also doesn't take my advice Mm -hmm. which i also love she'll she'll ask me something i'll give her my opinion she'll be like no 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 i'm not doing it like that like she She's, I like when she doesn't listen to me and I like when she listens to me. I like both. They're both equally wonderful because I don't want her to do what I did and I don't want her to be me. I don't want her to just do it because she thinks she'll get my approval. I like when she uh, 
disagrees with me and we negotiate constantly and she's the best negotiator i mean she's only 11 she's already brilliant at it she, i'm all ready to like say why i can't do this and that and she's always like well listen mom you <laughs> she'll say things about listen mom would you give me 10 extra dollars over my um allowance and i'll be like why and she'll be like well because I really researched this product that I want. I have no other way to get money and you have all the money and I don't have any and I don't have enough to get it and I don't want to wait another month where I get my allowance. And I'll be like, well, that sounds pretty good. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Stuff like that. She's so smart. I mean, she she's so smart. She, she can always explain why I should do it. I mean, if I have the money, then I'm like, yes, that, that makes sense. To me, I was just listening to that and I my reaction was like, yeah, obviously. I don't know. My brain just went to like, of course, like I think like people get so attached to these things, like especially if it's like a product that a parent is like, oh, that's a stupid product or that's a stupid idea. Parents will be like, no, you're not getting that just right off the top, like right off the bat. Like they'll shut kids down and they'll make them feel super invalidated and shameful and like embarrassed of even asking. And when I heard like, you know, Tori asking you like, Hey, can I get this? Cause it's like, to me, I almost thought like, I don't even need to know what the product is. Like, go ahead. Like you're, you're awesome. You rock, like go for it. Like, look at all of like the thinking that you've put into this. It's not even about that. I mean, it's just, it's just protecting the idea that like, she can ask you without the fear that you're going to shut her down because you think it's stupid. You know, that that's really important. That's a really good point. But you know, my daughter is obsessed with skincare products. She watches all the tutorials on like skincare, like a million of them. And um, I'm really don't do it. I put soap on my face at mm -hmm. the end of every day. That's that's <laughs> it. And um, and she's decided she doesn't want to buy any products that test on animals. Now I have nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. She came to that herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she's because kids are really smart. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for them to feel that their asks are not dumb, that their parents aren't going to be like, oh, like, this is stupid. You want this $40 foundation or $40 cream? It's like, that's so ridiculous. It's like, why is that ridiculous? Like, they're literally marketed for children of that age. Beauty is such an incredibly consuming concept. Of course, kids want to buy stuff, you know? And I just think that I love this one saying that, like, she can just ask you for something she can just ask you without fear of judgment. It's just really, yeah. it's just really, really healing for me. I always say that when you talk, I'm like, it's really healing. Oh, thank you. Number four, my child and I will play and share like dear close friends. And then I added this when I was getting ready for this. I wrote, if your child is scared of you in any way, scared to get punished, scared to be rejected and judged, scared to lose your support or attachment, they will not really be able to fully let down and play with you. They will always be protecting themselves against you on some level. Even if it looks like they're laughing and having fun, they will be secretly strategizing for their survival. I, I'm so, I want to know more about that one. And Maybe like in an example, if you could. You know, I, it's so hard for me to give examples from my childhood because my childhood was so incredibly horrific. Mm. But, you know, we played. We played a football outside. We would all do like wrestling. My dad did a lot of wrestling with us kids and we laughed a lot as a family. And so it can look like I was having fun, but really mm -hmm. I was, you know, 
I was playing the game and always trying to figure out how to protect myself and get out and get away from them. And you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it looks fun. You can't, kids can't really play if they feel scared on some level. Yeah. Or another, like another way to think about it, if kids are feeling like they're going to get criticized or if they're feeling like they're going to get judged, then they're going to be strategizing how to avoid those feelings. And they're not actually present. They're, yeah. like you say, strategizing for the best outcome for them. So if we're putting all of those things onto our kids and they're scared to lose our support, like you say in this, in this description, it, it completely erases the point of play. Mm -hmm. I mean, most adults don't play with children anyway. We're, we're pretty rare. But I really feel more and more. I mean, I really feel more and more like me and my kid just went on a trip to visit my best friend. We had to drive two and a half hours each direction. We were playing music. We were singing at the top of our lungs. And we were talking about everything. We were talking about all of her friends and what she likes about them. We were talking about, I mean, we were just... Talk, 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 talk the whole time. And it really feels like I'm hanging out with a friend. I mean, I don't share things that I don't want her to have to hold for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not like acting like she's another adult. But I definitely feel like we're friends. Mm. That's so amazing. Like, yeah, I can't even tell you how much that I want that. Well, it sounds like you have that. I mean, that's weird. Even though she's a little, she's a baby. I do have that. that. I, you know what? You're right. I actually, I should say like, I do have that. Um, I can't wait for to see how that evolves as she ages. But you're right. No, I think that this promise, it tells you that if you are not coercing your kids all the time, your play, your being together, your connection gets deeper and easier. It's it's just totally void of judgment. It's like if you have a close friend that you feel like they really see you and you're totally comfortable being yourself around them, that's how your kid will feel next to you. Right, like when you and Aaliyah are laughing and being really silly, that's, yeah. that's a kind of that's a kind of mutuality. Yeah, definitely. That's why I love the word joining because I feel like that really preserves that relationship to join them in that way without the judgment and the shame. You're literally feeling like you're a buddy to your your child. And I love when I was a teacher, I used to always say like, "Well, I just want to, you know, I want to treat these kids with respect. I want to treat them like." like they can see me like a friend like a like a buddy like a person they can fully trust that they can relate to and I'll never forget all of the teachers and all of the principals who said you never refer to your students as friends they're not your friends uh, and I just thought ugh, ugh. I literally would be like ew like I'd be like I'd leave that interaction and I'd like I'd just text my husband and be like ew like boo you know it's just like so gross we can definitely do all of this and still, like you say, hold the space that is safety and being the adult and guiding and doing all of that and keeping them safe. But we can yeah. absolutely treat them like equals and join them. Yes, and see, children are sometimes way ahead of us, mm -hmm. on, on, you know, in places where we're really lost. Yeah. Do you want to read the next one? Yeah. Number five says, my child will share her deepest thoughts and feelings with me and know that I won't take over and tell her what to do. Trust will become the language we share. Yeah. I thought we should talk about feelings. Feelings mm -hmm. are such a big part of showing up for our kids. You have any thoughts about that? About your kids' big feelings? Yes. I really intentionally, and this is a trigger for me, when my kid, I feel like, I, I, I know this isn't true, but when I, in my head I tell that story, the narrative of like, oh my god, she's been screaming all day, or she's been crying nonstop, and it does get exhausting. Like, I just want to like, 
also validate that, that that's not easy. It's really not easy to, especially in my situation, I'm often alone with my daughter. She's 14 months, like I've said, and it's like, it's loud, it's big, it's over, it's over, you know, in from an adult lens. It's like, oh, it's over nothing. She's having a huge feeling. Nothing happened. It's just there. And it's exhausting to hear it. It's literally loud. It's overstimulating. It's very difficult to just tap into your own experience as a human being when you're there in a room with a screaming loud person. It's a lot. But I really, really try. And again, this is my work. I I find it very hard to do this, but I do do it. I try to do it the majority of the time. I really try to completely allow those feelings, the, the screams, the crying. I really, really try. I find it very difficult. And I'm in it now too. Like I'm talking from like experience of like literally this morning, like she is having a lot of big, loud explosions of feelings. And I have to, I want to, I should say, regulate myself first and totally welcome them. I just talk to her and I just say like, oh, wow, that's so hard. Every time, over and over, no matter what it is, I just really try to welcome it by just validating like I would a client. You know, if you think about going to therapy and your therapist just sits and listens and kind of welcomes and validates you, that's how I try to be for my daughter. And I just think that that is a foundation of this, what you say, like how trust will become the language we share because I'm I'm not taking over. I'm not shutting them down. I'm not telling her, hey, you're okay. Stop crying. Get over it. Oh, it's like, let me fix it. Like, I don't fix anything. I don't. I just allow her to have the feelings. And usually I just ask her if she wants a hug. That's what we've been doing lately because she understands everything. So I'll just ask her, you know, do you want, I'll be like, oh, wow. Like, do you want a hug? And sometimes she'll say no. And she needs a minute to like cry more or just lie on the floor or whatever. But if she says yes, I usually give her a hug. I scoop her up and I just give her a kiss. And then we just do something else. And that's it. And like, there's, we just move through it. I remind myself that feelings are temporary. And that she's just got to move through it. And if I can be there with her, then I feel like that creates an awareness in her that she can share those feelings with me for hopefully years to come. I just want to show up for her in that way all the time, no matter what her age is. Wow, it's so beautiful, Kara. I can feel what hard work that is. It's really hard. I just, I feel like it needs to be said like a, a thousand times. Like I, I understand why people are like, how the fuck do you do that? Like, I can't deal with the crying. And I've said that to my husband many times. Oh my God, I can't deal with the crying. It's so much crying. But I just, sometimes there was a period where I wore earplugs regularly because that helped me stay regulated. I'm not really ashamed to say it. I think it's like a good yeah. tool that helped me stay regulated when she was a younger a baby. She was like, went through a screaming phase of just absolute blood curling um, for months and I had to wear earplugs around the house so that I didn't snap because I would I would have probably yelled at her like yeah. I really it really was absolutely a, a bit of a nightmare I'm not gonna lie it was really horrible so loud and and completely relentless wow so you gotta you gotta try to like acknowledge how fucking exhausting it is the tantrums are exhausting like anybody that works in a, a daycare will say that right they are exhausting and you gotta protect yourself too I thought I would just sort of tell a very superficial version of my daughter had tantrums, rage, raging, raging, raging tantrums for probably five years straight. And they could go from an hour to three hours. Oh my gosh. And sometimes they, she, like, she wouldn't stop even though it was one in the morning. I mean, like. That's like, actually, no, I, I just want to say, like, that must have been so fucking difficult. 
I mean, it's beyond. I felt sometimes like I was having a nervous breakdown while yeah. that happening. Yeah. Um, like also, traumatizing. I had, to hold her, I had to hold her because <sighs> she would try to hit me in the head and hit mm. me with objects and scratch me and pull my hair. I mean, I had to restrain her, but I wouldn't, I, I, I felt very triggered at holding her down. Yeah. So I would just wrap my arms around her as long enough to keep her from hitting me. Then I would grab pillows and we would have, I'd have her try to get the, hit the pillows. Yeah. Um, with, you know, a lot of good success. Sometimes she just slammed me with her leg really hard. I mean, I had bruises mm -hmm. on my body. Um, and I knew that she was processing the divorce because mm -hmm. um, we got divorced when she was two and a half. Mm -hmm. And so when she was two and a half years old, she suddenly could only be with me half the time. And we were nursing. It was horrible, mm -hmm. really, really horrible for her. And a long story, a lot of really hard things happened. <clears throat> so it took her like five years to process that. And she was so enraged she was so enraged so i had to show up for rage 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 i had to do tons of my own therapy i had to do tapping i had to go rage myself because her rage would trigger me wanting to rage at her it was like like torture and i felt like no one understood and i felt shame and oh on and on and on such a big long story um, I obviously did a really good job because she's now not doing that anymore and she's such an empathetic loving person but um, it was just really terrifying and what do you think the outcome was that you did that that you held her there and you created the space that she could express those feelings without shame without fear of punishment or without sheer fear of being isolated from you you know like put in her own room and yeah I mean two major things one is my daughter has the most amazing boundaries even with me she, she well not even with me especially with me like she doesn't let me like if I go to hug her she'll be like nope like the like, nope mom I don't want to be hugged or she'll be like I whenever I push on her boundaries she'll be like no mom I said no don't push on my boundary mm -hmm. so I feel like allowing her to go through that rage has like now simmered down to just like basic boundaries. Oh, that's which... really cool. That's huge. Mm -hmm. As we know from our work with clients, when people don't do that, it, it, it causes incredible amounts of anxiety and anger. Yeah. I mean, I'm so relieved because you know, it's so scary when kids can't speak up. It's mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm -hmm. And that's but true she too. She was on the phone with a friend the other day. I could hear them playing a game and the kids were trying to convince her to buy something online. And she was like, hey, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Hmm. I was like, this is great. Um, and the other thing it's given her is she, I would get so triggered that I have to say, honey, I'm triggered. I have to go upstairs and I have to have my partner take over um, many, many times. I'd be like, sweetheart, I'm so triggered right now. It's not you. Something old is getting hit by you getting angry. I mean, this is when she's older. So she learned a lot about her mom gets triggered and now she be like, mom, are you triggered right now? If I'm acting weird. So, so she's learned that people, adults get triggered. No, that's so amazing because there's very few adults who can say, mom, are you getting triggered to their adult parent? <laughs> right? I don't know anybody that says that to their parent. Yes. We have this tiny bathroom and sometimes we'll be in there and I'll start getting really claustrophobic and she'll be like, are you getting claustrophobic? And I'm like, yes. She'll be like, okay, you can leave and I'll get out of the bathroom. Because sometimes she likes me to hang out with her while she does her very long skin care routine. Right. 
and I just started feeling like I'm sweating and like trapped in the bathroom. <laughs> so like there's, yeah, she's getting to know my triggers. So but, incredible. You know, but I don't make her take care of me, but I, I am in fact a human. Yeah, exactly. And I love, that's why I love what you shared, that vulnerability, because yeah, sometimes you do just want to scream at your kid. And if we can start identifying what those triggers are for us, we can hopefully make another choice. So like, just, yeah, thank you again for just sharing what was hard for you in those years. It sounds incredibly horrific. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like I deserve a big award and a million dollars. I agree. Okay, moving on to number six, it says, my child will act out, make mistakes, push against me, test me, and then make her own decisions about her behaviors. I won't have to lecture and punish her because she will want to understand her behavior on her own. This is a big one. The idea that our children want to be good, fair, compassionate, and kind will move in directions naturally if they're given room to have their big feelings and their big challenges without judgment or being controlled. This is mind-blowing. I never made my child say she was sorry. I never mm -hmm. forced her to say please or thank you. I, I never shamed her around those things, but she has decided to say she's sorry. And she now says please and thank you. And you know she has a conscience that she now can hear on her own without me making her bend to it. Yes, because children learn through modeling. And children have mirror neurons that are literally called mirror neurons because that is how they make the new neural pathways. We learn from socialization. It's not always needing to be done through telling them how to behave and having that idea that children should be seen and not heard or that they say thank you, say please, say thank you. Like sh They'll do it. They will do it if they watch you do it. But they might not do it till they're five. So right. Daughter didn't apologize till she was like five years old. Makes sense because why would a two-year-old naturally apologize without being coerced to? It doesn't make sense developmentally. Yeah. Do you, can you read number seven? My child will develop organic, empathetic responses to my struggles and hard times. As I let her be her own person, she's able to see me as a person who is struggling as well. And this will apply to her relationships with other people too. She is learning that my feelings matter because her feelings matter. And as I give her space to be herself, she seems to naturally be giving me space to be myself as well. Yeah, and that links back to what we just said about developing organic empathy through learning that through natural exposure to it, natural experiences yes. and, and mirroring. So yes. I love that one. Um, number eight, should I read that one? Yes, please. Okay, number eight says, my child will learn to trust her gut and her perceptions. She will become someone who can have her boundaries and clearly say yes and no to things because she trusts herself. She'll develop her intuition and spidey senses about things. This is because I have not forced her to do it my way at the expense of her own way. When we do that, we create deep confusion for children because we force them to question their natural responses to things. Well, there's a reason why gaslighting is like the word of the day. Yeah. 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 Just a sentence about that. Coercion uh, really pulls children off their own center. And then they stop eventually being able to even hear what their center is. Mm -hmm. All right. That's Number really, nine. that's like, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I was like, that's so great. That was like a gut punch. There. It was. No, it's so freaking good. 
Nine, she will have access to the full range of life experience, including huge joy and huge sorrow. Do you want to say anything about that? Well, yeah, it's just this idea that, like, it's all tied in together. That we're not going to gaslight them by saying, like, oh, you shouldn't be crying about that. It's not a big deal. We're also allowing whatever feeling exists in the first place. If they're fucking angry, they're fucking angry. I'm going to give her a pillow. You want to scream with her? You want to go scream in the in the shower? You want to go scream outside with me? Let's go. This is it. You deserve to be angry about this shit. And that I think all creates the foundation to this promise, which is there you go. You've just done it. You've you've not coerced them to try to be any other way. They're just who they are. All feelings are valid. All feelings are feelings. There's no bad ones, right? And every feeling has a reason. Right. And so therefore they can have access to them all. It's like that board uh, meeting I think of, I talk about it with clients, you know, you have that big table, it's a board meeting, all the emotions are there. And it's not like reason or logic is is having the front line and saying, hey, everybody shut the hell up. I'm here to tell you what we're gonna do because none of you make sense and you guys are useless. It's like anger's over there being like, no, I'm fucking angry and I have a reason. And, and the person who has been brought up in this way that is learning that they can express that anger appropriately and how to do that can be like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go punch a pillow because I'm fucking mad. And then I can move on and do something. But right now I'm allowed to feel sad. I'm allowed to feel pain. I'm allowed to feel anger. And I just feel like that's what non-coercion does is through the, through the acceptance and the real felt sense of I'm here for you. You matter no matter what the hell you think, feel, say, do, and that person then can really access all of their feelings, including huge joy and huge sorrow. And we welcome that. Right, because so many children, their life force is tied up on a performing. Yeah. Performing to get the love, performing to get the security. And, and that takes up all the time and energy rather than actually tuning into what they're experiencing in the present moment. Yeah. Okay, the last one, we have made it to the last promise. My child and I will both learn what it feels like to be free. And I wrote a little thing. Freedom is a tricky word. There are many aspects to the idea of freedom because there is so much in life we cannot control. But for me, that word freedom means choosing love under any circumstances. So I had a horrific childhood and I still chose a life of love as I developed into a grown-up. By love, I mean creative expression, intimate relationships filled with caring, activism that grows from experiencing the love of justice. I had to fight so hard to find that love and I want my daughter to know that it's possible much sooner than I did. I want to facilitate her ability to feel love, to know she's made of love and to choose love if that is in her highest good. And to me, that's what freedom is. When I'm busy controlling her, or if we spend time in power struggles, we miss the chance to feel our freedom together. Feeling it together is one of the great joys of my lifetime. Hmm. Yeah, when we're stuck in the teaching and in the coercion and in the control to meet the agenda, we miss all that. Yes. Yeah. We miss the organic, um, whatever the relationship is going to be. Yeah. And this idea that we learn what it feels like to be free, I don't even, I can't even imagine how that actually feels. I, I don't know what that would be like. 
You mean if you had been raised that yeah, way? Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, to say that as to be raised that way, I have no idea who I would be. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea how I would interpret things or what my self-esteem would be, where how, how loudly my self-compassion would be speaking, what my inner critic would sound like. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Wow. I just know that this that that is the opportunity of having a child is the opportunity yeah. to meet in the place we were never met. Yeah, exactly. And in a way to reparent ourselves. Yes, because it is really healing. It's yeah. so healing. Yeah. As hard as it is, it's so healing. This has been your kids don't suck. You can find me, Kara Tedstone at www.karatedstonetherapy.com and on Instagram at karatedstonetherapy. On my website, you'll find links to recommended readings and a link to my Reparenting with Mindfulness workbook, available now on Amazon. You can find me, Rathia Lee, at www.rathia.com. That's R-Y-T-H-E-A.com. There you'll find published books, articles, and music, and parenting videos. Also, I'm on TikTok at Rathia Lee, on Instagram at Rathia Lee. You can book parent mentoring sessions with me through my website. And also, I have an advice from a loving bitch YouTube show that helps people heal self-hatred, and that's Rathia.com slash advice. It is important and essential to put our voices, Rathia and Kara, in a context. We are two white, cisgendered, straight, middle-class women living with financial and societal privilege. Because of this, our perspectives are limited and do not reflect the realities of all of our listeners. This podcast will feature guests with expertise around conscious parenting who differ in race, class, abilities, sexual orientation, and histories from us to broaden the conversation and reflect the lives of as many people as possible. 25% of the proceeds of this podcast will go to creators of color who have been mentors and influences on our work and in our growth as parents. If you like our show, please subscribe and stay tuned for more conscious parenting advice and insights. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash your kids don't suck to donate and connect with us.